the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, but since it had no depth of soil, then when the sun arose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Holy Spirit, your word tells us that no one comes to you unless they are called, unless they are drawn. And so, Father, I I pray, I ask you, would you draw us to you this, this morning? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you unstop and open our eyes, our hearts, to receive this implanted word. Father, would you soften the soil of hearts this morning? Make us more receptive to your truth, to your gospel, to your word. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Three parts to this sermon. Uh, In part... One, not in your bulletins. I want to introduce this whole idea of parables to you, the who, what, and why of parables. In part two, I hope to explain for you this parable from Mark 4, the parable of the four soils. It's sometimes called the parable of the sower, but it's actually much less about the sower than it is about the soil. And then in part three, I want to try and help us apply this parable, particularly when it comes to our own sowing, to our evangelism. All right, got that? So introduction, 
explanation, application for evangelism. Let's, let's do this. Part one, introduction, the what, why, and who of parables. For starters, what is a parable? A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a spiritual lesson. Jesus often tells them as similes, or for those of you who have forgotten AP English class, metaphors that compare one thing to something else like it in order to shed additional light. So the kingdom of God is like a pearl, a coin, a mustard seed. Jesus' parables have been described as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record 35 of these parables. In fact, just a few verses down from today's passage, we hear in Mark 4:34 that Jesus did not say anything to them without using a parable, which brings us to our next question, why? Why did Jesus use parables? Why speak in analogies and metaphors and sometimes even cryptic stories? And the answer is twofold. On the one hand, Jesus does want to illuminate these spiritual truths for his followers. The kingdom of heaven can sometimes seem so heavenly, so otherworldly, that it's best described in indirect metaphorical ways. Jesus has to use things that we do comprehend in order to give us glimpses of things we can't fully grasp on this side of eternity. And in so doing, he actually enhances our understanding of that thing. So if you ask me what my daughter Ellery is like, I can describe her for you. She's full of energy. She's spunky. She loves to be the center of attention. Or I can say she's like a firecracker. And you know exactly what I mean, right? It paints a picture for you. But on the other hand, Jesus himself tells us that he also speaks in parables to obscure things from most of those in the crowd. He says here in verse 12, for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, his disciples now, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So note two things about that. Number one, Jesus wants his disciples to understand. He says, don't you get it? This is going to be my easiest parable of the 35. If you don't get this one, how are you going to understand the one about the fig tree or the leaven or the unjust judge? There's some doozies coming. And I want you all, my disciples, to understand these things. That's why in verse 34, Jesus took them aside and privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. But in verse 12, we hear, for those outside, everything was in a parable so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And so Jesus quotes here Isaiah 6, 9, which is telling Because what does God call the prophet Isaiah to do in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel was whoring after other gods? God commanded them, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn and be healed. And then Isaiah said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant. So God warns Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. I'm going to stop up their ears. They will not repent and turn back to me. But that's between me and them. Your job is to preach. 
And it's the same calling that God gives the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 7.27 and the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3.4-7. And it's the same calling God gives Jesus here this morning in Mark 4. Speak to them in parables in order to reveal truth to those who earnestly desire to know it and yet to conceal truth from those who are indifferent. Jesus isn't going to cast his pearls before swine. If you don't care enough about heaven to sit and reflect on it for a little bit, then it's not for you. And I fear that some in the church today may have cheapened and, and dumbed down the gospel in an attempt to make it more inclusive for everyone. Just pray this magic prayer and you'll be saved and good for life. Friends, if entering the kingdom was a matter of simply praying a magic prayer, don't you think God would have included that prayer in his book? It's not there. No, Jesus says, wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Which leads us to our third and most important introductory question, who? Who, if that's what a parable is and why Jesus tells them, then who are they for? If they're not for everyone, how do I even know if this parable is for me? Hear this, friends. If you are here this morning and you're already a follower of Jesus, this parable is for you. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. You have already trusted in the mystery of mysteries, the good news that Jesus is your king. This sermon is for you. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, this parable may well be for you. You might feel today like Jesus is speaking directly to you in this parable of the four soils. And perhaps he is. Perhaps the soil of your heart is finally ready for the seed of the gospel. And yet, for others, it's possible that you will leave here this morning with the soil of your heart even harder than when you arrived. And frankly, friends, that is probably the most difficult, hardest part of my job. After four months as your lead pastor on this job, I can tell you being a pastor isn't, isn't easy. But perhaps the hardest part of the job is knowing when I walk up into this pulpit on Sunday mornings that there will in all likelihood, in a crowd this size, be those here in this room this morning who are not saved, whose spiritual eyes have not yet been opened, your spiritual ears are still stopped up, and who will leave here this morning more numb to the gospel, more desensitized to the good news of Christ crucified and resurrected than when you walked in. And friends, if you have ears to hear this morning, please listen to me. Don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. Wake up. Wake up this morning to hear the good news. Unstop your ears. Pray that the Holy Spirit, who alone can reveal these truths to you, would cause the scales to fall off your spiritual eyes this morning so that you could see Christ for who he really is. Wake up. Now, part number two is an explanation. <clears throat> this is, in fact, the easiest parable of Jesus's to interpret because Jesus himself interprets us, it for us in the second half of the passage that we just read. And that's why I assign myself this parable 
And next week, Cordell, I, I gave him three parables of the lamp and the harvest and the mustard seed, all for next Sunday's sermon when I'm gone relaxing on vacation in Michigan. <laughs> Let him figure those out. Um, Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God. So let's flesh this out. As a pastor, what you pay me for is to try and get the word of God, this, into the people of God, into you. Okay, that's my, that's my job in a nutshell. One sentence description, get the word of God into the people of God, into your hearts. And as an evangelist, as a proclaimer of the good news, you and I both have been called, everyone who's a believer has been called. You don't get paid for this one. This is free with the cost of admission into the kingdom. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, he gave you a new purpose. You are now called to get the word of God into others out there. Right? That is your purpose. That's why you're here on this earth. Either by evangelism, Mark 16, go and preach the gospel in all creation, or in the case of someone who's already a believer, to get their roots deeper by discipleship. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. That's it. So seed, soil, we're all sowers. And then we pray that the Lord of the harvest would give the growth. Here's Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he whose waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And so we are all workers. We're called to plant we're called to water, but then we're called to pray because God must give the growth. And yet, it is helpful for us this morning to recognize that there are four distinct types of soil. And each soil requires a different kind of labor on our part in partnership with the Holy Spirit if the seed of God's word is ever going to have a shot of taking root in someone's heart. And not just taking root, but actually growing up into a full-fledged, fruit-bearing plant. Notice that that is the goal of the sower here, fruit-bearing plants. But it's impossible for a plant to bear fruit if soil number one, the ground is hard. If the ground is hard, hard ground must be jackhammered. That's the best verb I could come up with for what you do with hard ground. In our 21st century context, we might read verse 4 as he sowed and some seed fell along the pavement. This is a path. It's a paved road, asphalt. Where God desires an orchard, there's an interstate. And so what do you do? You borrow one of these bulldozers next door that promises using. You start the demolition. Notice the ground isn't randomly hard. It is paved. It's a path. A path is ground that is actively being used for another purpose. Friends, there is no neutral ground in this life. When it comes to God's plan for your life, everyone in here is actively being used for one of two purposes. You're either being used for God's purpose to bring him glory, to spread his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, or for Satan's. Those are the options. If you're coasting, like, well, you know, maybe I'm not on fire for the Lord, but I'm also not actively performing satanic seances. 
If you're not a fruit-bearing tree, you are wasting soil and space. You are leaching vital nutrients out of the orchard. Listen to the words of Jesus. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Friends, your heart is being used for one purpose or the other. Don't be hard-hearted. Do not harden your heart this morning, either to the good news of Jesus or to the good calling of Jesus to bear fruit, to spread the gospel seed to others. When a heart becomes hardened to the gospel, like my own was for most of my life, layers and layers of asphalt, the only solution is a jackhammer. And let me tell you, a jackhammer can be painful, but I do not regret for a second those people who God sent into my life to speak truth, sometimes difficult truth, jackhammer truth in love to me to, des- to destroy my pride, to demolish my hatred of God and others, to point out my hopelessness without Christ. I praise God for those people. And I have friends, and I suspect all of us have some friends out there today who we look at and we think, I'm not getting through to them. If this person's heart is ever going to be softened, it has to be because the Holy Spirit is supernaturally breaking through layers and layers of spiritual concrete. And you might be right. Maybe God has hardened their heart for that very purpose, to demonstrate his power to transform them in a way that only he could have done but he still may want to use you to operate the jackhammer. You need his equipment, but he might still want to use you, and that can feel daunting. It's abrasive, offensive, and it might be painful for that hard-hearted person in your life in the moment, but they might just be eternally grateful to you that you were the one who was willing to confront them with truth and love. And the second kind of ground is rocky, and shallow ground, and shallow soil must be tilled, plowed, cultivated. The difference here is that there is actually some good soil this time. In verse 5, the seed takes root for a season, but there's no depth of soil, there's no depth of root system. And so notice what kills the seed in this type of soil. Verse 17, it's tribulation, hardship. Verse 6 uses the metaphor of the scorching sun. Isn't it interesting that the very same thing that is most necessary for the plant's growth, the sun, is the very thing that kills the plant without the right roots in place. We've reiterated this in past sermons here recently. Suffering is God's greatest tool, his primary instrument for growing us in our faith, for strengthening, deepening our roots. But if we are not careful, the very thing that God has designed to most help us grow in him can become the very thing that shakes a shallow faith to its core, that causes our shallow roots to shrivel up and die. Friends, we will all go through difficulty in this life. It's not a question of if, but when, and a question of how. How will you handle it? Will suffering make you bitter or better? Do you have the roots to weather that kind of storm, that kind of scorching from the sun. If you wait until you're in the middle of the storm to batter down the hatches, the middle of the storm 
to grow your roots. In the heat of the summer, you may be too late. Take heed now, brothers and sisters. Till the soil of your heart today. Under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, locate those rocks, the weak spots in your own faith, and systematically begin removing them, strengthening your faith, tilling the soil, deepening your roots, so that, Ephesians 6, 13, you may be able to withstand in the evil day. It's coming. Soil number three is thorny and divided. It is divided because it's trying to grow both good seed alongside thorns. But verse 7, the weeds and the thorns will eventually choke out the good seed. So divided ground must be weeded. It must be dethorned. Consider the unique threat with each type of soil here. The threat with the hard ground was Satan. We heard Satan, the bird, immediately comes and destroys the seed. This is a direct attack because the person's heart is so hardened to the truth. The threat with the shallow ground was hardship. This is the route Satan attempted with Job. He was a righteous man. His heart wasn't, his heart wasn't hard, so Satan tested his roots. Satan still uses that scheme on many believers today, but Satan saves his most devious, most deceptive tactic for this third type of soil, the divided soil. What is the threat here? Look back at verse 19. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Busyness, money, worldly pleasure. This is the hardest kind of soil to work with. Have you ever tried to tend soil that's filled with, with thorns? We took the youth group this summer to Wheaton, Illinois. We volunteered at a homeless shelter up there. I'm over there doing landscape. We're doing landscaping for them. I'm, I'm getting after it, and uh, I hear some of the students laughing. I think they're goofing off and um, procrastinating. So I go down, and Troy Johnson, who I don't think is here this morning, so I can make fun of him. Troy Johnson is kind of shaking, I'm making fun of myself too, he's shaking his head in defeat, and the others are giving Troy a hard time, because um, he can't pull this weed, and so we look, I look down, and this thing is small, that's a small weed, and so I pile on to, Troy, why don't you just take a break and relax in your high chair over here, and he's like, no, you try it, and so I'd been down there, and I, uh, I'd I'd look at this thing closer, and every square like millimeter of this thing is covered in thorns. I'm talking like inch-long thorns cut straight through your work glove thorns. Um, and so now I'm panicking, because I'm like, I just made fun of him. And um, sure enough, I couldn't get it out. I think one of the middle school girls ended up um, getting it out. But <laughs> Thorny ground is the toughest to deal with. But friends, in most of our cases, this is the number one soil that you and I in West County St. Louis fight against personally and that we will face in our evangelism with others every single day. And what makes it so tough is that oftentimes the cares of this world aren't inherently bad things. In fact, they're usually good things. Family, work, money, these are good things, but they're dangerous things because as Tim Keller says, an idol is when a good thing becomes the main thing. 
when these good things replace God as the primary aim and passion and motivator and driver of our hearts, they become deadly. And so what do you have to do with divided ground, with thorns that are growing alongside the good seed? You have to weed them out. Cut them out. Destroy them. But notice here that the thorn isn't money itself. It isn't family. The thorn isn't work. I'm not saying that necessarily everybody here is called to you know, quit your job and, and divorce your wife. or what. That's not it. What Jesus condemns here is the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things above our desire for him. It's not the thing in and of itself that is the problem, that is condemned as evil, money, family, work, but rather the love of that thing above our love for Jesus. So that should still be a serious warning to us. Friends, if we find something, anything in our hearts that upon honest self-assessment, we conclude, frankly, I, I probably love more than Jesus. We need to root that thing out. Root it out, weed it, pull it up. That is what Jesus called his would-be followers to time and time again throughout the gospel accounts. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, the problem wasn't his stuff. It was that he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. And that's why Jesus called him to go and sell everything he owned. The family man in Luke 9, 61, who wants to follow Jesus, but first, let me go and say goodbye to his family. The problem wasn't his family. It was that he loved his family more than he loved Jesus. Jesus said, if you're not willing to leave them behind without so much as a goodbye for my sake, then you're not worthy to follow me. I told you, these are not the sermons of a guy who is trying to pack out sanctuaries and lead the fastest growing church in America. John 6, 66, people were walking away from Jesus's preaching in droves. Jesus said in our text from last week, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Take your pick. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his own wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If your feelings for those closest to you don't look like hatred in comparison to your love for me, Jesus, then I don't want you as a follower. Divided hearts need not apply. This is a hard saying, friends. Who can bear it? Who can measure up? Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God must give us this kind of faith, this kind of love for him. But it will not come without cost to you. Jesus is not peddling cheap grace here. This is costly. It cost him his life, and it will cost you your life too. But he is worth it. Jesus is worth upending your life, uprooting your otherworldly desires, leaving everything behind, trading it all for him. He's worth it. Fourth, even the good ground must be tended. Paul still had to plant. Apollo still had to water. 
even in the good soil. And right now, brothers and sisters, there are people out there whose hearts are ready. They are waiting to hear the good news. You think, come on, pastor, this is America. If, if, if they have not yet come to faith, if they don't believe, it's not because they haven't heard. Everyone here knows the gospel, and you're wrong. You're wrong. They haven't heard. They may have listened for years, but they have never heard. I listened to the gospel for 27 and a half years, and I never heard. And right now, there's someone in your life who has listened for a long time, but they have never heard because the ground used to be hard. God's been working on it. He's been jackhammering it up. But then those leftover rocks were still left behind. It kept their roots shallow. The ground was tough for a long time, but God's been tilling it, cultivating it. And now he's been working to remove the weeds, remove the thorns, to show them the vanity, the futility, the fleetingness, the hopelessness of their worldly stuff, those thorns that they put their hope in. And their soil is finally ready. 27, 47, 87 years later, they're ready. They can finally hear now. But how are they to hear without someone preaching? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And so I want to leave you with four quick, practical takeaway points, four tips specifically for your personal evangelism this week, for your own sowing of the gospel seed with which you have been entrusted if you are a follower of Jesus. Tip number one, pursue good soil. Personally, in your own heart, pursue it. Before you sow elsewhere, check your own heart. Matthew 7, Jesus said, You will know a tree by its fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In other words, if you've got serious thorns growing in your own divided heart, you are at risk, like the Pharisees in Matthew 23, of turning those who you mentor and you disciple into twice the sons of hell that you are. That's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. The single most important quality in a disciple maker, in a gospel preacher, in an evangelist, in every Christian who is called to follow Jesus' call to pay it forward to others is not our knowledge of the Bible. It's not the eloquence of our speech. It's not our love for people on a personal level, our relationship. The single most important trait is the quality of our soil. It's our character. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, Jesus said. How is your soil, Christian? Pursue good soil. Avoid bad soil. Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. Meditate. Marinate on these things. Pursue good soil. Tip number two, identify good soil in others. It doesn't do a lot of good to spread seed out on Highway 40. You're not going to grow a lot of fruit 
out there. We used to do an exercise with our student leaders at Culver where I'd give each of them one apple seed. And I'd say, your job is to do everything in your power. Do your best to turn that, fruit bearing, uh, turn that seed into a fruit-bearing apple tree one day. It's a prize. And guess what? They took a lot of care with the kind of soil in which they were going to plant, invest their seed. Identify those with good soil in your life who are most worthy of the investment of your time, your energy. Pastor, are you saying that I just give up on those in my life who don't seem to have good soil? No. Tip number three, pray and work to cultivate good soil in others as well. We used to do another exercise with those same leaders where I'd give them a spreadsheet with four columns on it, hard, shallow, thorny, good. And then I asked them to think through and pray over every single one of their family members, their friends, and then list each person's name in one of those four categories where they thought they, they sort of belonged, the soil of their heart. Obviously, only God knows. But this can be helpful, practically helpful in your evangelism to assess whether you're dealing with someone who truly hard-heartedly hates God versus someone who just loves their party lifestyle more. It's a big difference. Your evangelism needs to, needs to change based on who you're interacting with. Work to get better at identifying these different types of soil so that you can more effectively cultivate each based on the specific type of labor it requires. But at the same time, number four, we'll end with this. Recognize that you don't have just one seed. You, we have not been given just one seed to plant by Jesus. Praise the Lord. One, one shot at evangelism. The gospel is a renewable resource. Don't be selective. Tip number four, don't wait for good soil. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. Did you notice where the sower spreads his seed in the parable? Does it say he noticed the ground was hard along the path and so he didn't bother sowing there? Does it say he noticed the thorns and so he didn't want to waste any more seed there? No, he sows everywhere. He sows liberally. Brothers and sisters, we're called to sow liberally. I've got grass seed growing in the cracks in my sidewalk at home. I can't get it to grow in the middle of my yard where I, scat, where I planted it. I tilled the soil. I planted, and it's growing in the cracks in my sidewalk. You never know what God is doing in a person's heart. They might seem like the most hard-hearted, worst-soiled person you've ever met. And that might be exactly where God wants them in order to reveal their need for him. Keep sowing. Never stop sowing. Never stop cultivating. Always be cultivating, but never stop sowing either. I don't know why as I was praying and sort of thinking about how to deliver this this morning, this is going to be so stupid, but somebody's going to go home singing this, and it's going to remind you, and you're going to share the good news with someone, and that will be enough. I just kept hearing from uh, Finding Nemo or Dory or both, just keep swimming, just, but I just kept hearing, just keep sowing, just keep sowing. That's it. Just keep sowing. That's our calling. God's job is to give the growth. Your job is to sow. 
Yes, pursue good soil personally. Yes, look especially for good soil in others' hearts. And yes, look for opportunities to strategically till the soil of others' hearts when you need to. But at the end of the day, don't over-strategize. Don't over-insert yourself in the process. Evangelism in Mark 4 is not a science. The sower isn't calculative in his seed spreading. He's liberal. Because he understands that God desires that none should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, but that all should reach repentance. But if God desires that none should perish, that all should reach repentance, that means they must hear the good news. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.